0: strong women smart policy solid theology and no apology this is concerned women today with penny young nance ceo and president of concerned women for america the largest public policy organization for women in the nation here's your host penny nance Welcome to Concerned Women today, and I have a great show for you all today. I am hosting the executive director, president and executive director of Lifeline Children's Services and Ministries. Herbie Newell lives in Birmingham, Alabama, which of course makes me as a Southerner feel like I'm family to him already, but he is doing incredible work in the issue of adoption in the area of adoption. And, you know, I don't know if you all have been following this, but we are seeing in the space of a Christian adoption agencies, this change that is coming about. And it has to do with government regulations and rules about adoptions around same-sex couples. In fact, there was a recent Supreme Court case, the Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia, which was a 9-0 decision, which there's not a ton of those, right? When you have a unanimous decision in which the court said, listen, Christian ministries have a right to serve their clients and to serve and be true to their religious faith. And so there's a lot to unpack there, Herbie. So I'm just going to throw it to you. Tell us, tell our listeners first about your ministry. And then if you could kind of get into a little bit of what you see happening in the space you're in right now.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. And it's such an honor to be able to join you. And, you know, Lifeline Children's Services started in in 1981, and it was a direct result of Roe versus Wade. Uh, A crisis pregnancy center was started in Birmingham, Alabama, which started to spread throughout the South. And that crisis pregnancy center was a response to help women first to know their dignity and their worth uh, and that their image bears of a holy God. But then second of all, to help them see that the life within them was not just a choice, was not just a, a glob of tissue, but was a life intimately and intricately created by a savior. Well, as the crisis pregnancy center really started to blossom and bloom, they realized that they were only giving one choice to women. Basically, you can become a single parent, uh, or the other side was you could have an abortion. And so they they really only had the drum of single parenting that they were beating. But what they realized is there was a lot, there were a lot more options, a lot more choices. And so Lifeline started in 1981 not only to give choices to women, but also to disciple them through their pregnancy to help walk them through their pregnancy, help them see who they were, their worth, to help them point out to their future. Because I think a lot of what, you know, the the abortion lobbyists were, were pushing to women was you can't, you know, you can't continue your career. You can't continue your dreams, your aspirations. And what we wanted to do is walk women along their journey and say, you can still meet your dreams. You can still meet your aspirations, but you don't have to sacrifice a life and, and, enter into a life full of turmoil because of this decision, you can give life to a child and still pursue all of your dreams and your aspirations. And so we started in 1981 working with women, placing children into Christian homes where they would see and hear and know uh, who Christ Jesus was and know that that they were made in the image of God and special. And so through that time, you know, we, uh, we helped many thousands of women, helped many thousands of children. We started a maternity home where we could love on these women more uh, intimately, walk with them through their pregnancy uh, more holistically. And then in the late 90s, we started an international program. We started to see the rise of orphans around the world and really believed that we needed to have an intervention, especially mm-hmm. for Christian families, to be able to reach out to these kids. And so we started a program in China. And at this point, we work in 18 countries around the world, uh, we work in an additional six doing strategic orphan care uh, and our domestic programs have continued to grow. Uh, we now do foster care. We also have entered into family reunification whereby we're trying to help kids leave foster care by being reunified with their biological parents. And uh, the Lord has continued just to grow this ministry and, and really the the mission and vision of our ministry is to equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel in all of, these, all of its ways to vulnerable children and women.
0: I love that. And I, I jumped right into sort of, you know, what the public policy conversations uh, are going on right now nationally, but I, but I really appreciate the fact that you really dove into what the underlying and really important motivation is behind your ministry and other ministries around the country. I mean, you know, it's not enough to just be say you're pro-life and to lean into legislation today, the Texas um, law, which is the Texas heartbeat bill, goes into effect. And so as those laws happen, and I hope there are more of those, and we are working on those, and we're we're working in the courts. uh, The Dobbs case will happen in the fall. And so we're going to be working on the legal front, but there has to be an undergirding of women. So it's not, you just, we don't have an abortion. It has to be right. a better alternative. And I, and I love that you said that you have a maternity home. You know, I talked earlier that I graduated from Liberty university and when went up, even back when I was in college, they had Liberty Godparent home, because mm-hmm. often people that are in these situations, it's a messy situation. Parents mm-hmm. kick them out. You know, they don't want to do. And then as they walk through, you have the baby. It can't, that can't just can't be it. Whether you parent or not, there needs to be some mentoring that goes on. And, um, The Human Coalition and and other partners that we work with around the country are very attuned, I think, about Lifesavers in uh, Mm -hmm. Dallas, Texas, and some of the others that are very attuned to the fact that there is a holistic approach, spiritually, physically emotionally working into the felt needs, education, work, the things that women need in this crisis situation in their life. And if we're going to be the church and really be the church and care for the least of these, it can't just be about don't have an abortion. It has to be about many other things as well.
1: That's right. I I think as the church, we need to really recast who we are. We're about protecting the Imago Dei. We're, We're about protecting the image bearers of God, and we are pro woman and we're pro child. And I'm afraid that we've allowed our, you know, we've allowed the pro life side to become only pro baby or pro child. But we are pro life. We're pro human flourishing, and we want women to flourish. We want children to flourish. But we don't believe that that the end of that ends in an abortion that's taking a life. And ultimately, uh, we. We've seen studies now that ultimately harm women's bodies, their reproductive systems, um, and so and and certainly emotionally and spiritually, it's hurting women. And so I, I love the way too that we're we're taking this legal fight. I loved watching the the way that this Texas bill came out, even, and I think they were so wise with the way this bill came out, where the any any way that this bill is going to be attacked is going to be from uh, from women who are, have received abortions, not necessarily from. Uh, the attorney general or the right. state. They've, met, they've put it on a personal level, which was very wise. It was, it was, it was a really a way to say, we wanna give women even the choice mm-hmm. over their bodies, which is to give life to this child. And you know we've, we've gotta, as, as believers, we've got to be as innocent as doves, but we've gotta be as shrewd as serpents as well. We've gotta have wisdom. We've gotta look at this issue and we've gotta use every faculty that the Lord has given us. He's given us mind, body, and spirit We've got to use those faculties to protect life and to protect human flourishing. And so it's so important in all of these things. And, and, and I'm grateful for what the Texas legislature did to pass this bill.
0: Well, you're right. It's the ultimate empower- empowerment of women who, of course, the child, the baby is hurt, but the woman is hurt too. For her to be able to go back and have a, a standing in court to be able to hold accountable the abortionist who took the life of her unborn child um, passed the, the, I think it's about six to eight week mark. So it's really, it is very um, interesting. It's very interesting legal theory. It, it's made it very difficult to be enjoined. And so we'll see how this works out. And I think I expect to see other, you know, similar uh, legislation passed around the country let's talk about what's happening because I've noticed in the, and I'd love just through your theory on that. And I know you're doing international adoption as we've seen the numbers go down for adoptions in this country, domestic adoption. What, what is happening there? Why do you think that is?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of that is because of chemical abortion. Uh, As you know, you can get the morning after pill over the counter. Now, Uh, even during the COVID-19 pandemic, while I celebrate that many governors and many states shut down abortion practices, at least temporarily during the pandemic. uh, What we did see is we saw much looser restrictions on being able to access chemical abortion where literally women could stay at home and it would be mailed to them. And so, uh, you know, the abortion numbers look like they're going down, but they're also not counting in to affect chemical abortions, the morning after pill. I don't believe that, that abortion numbers going down, mean that they are necessarily more children that are being born. Uh, I, I also think that uh, we've, we've allowed uh, adoption to get a bad rap um, mm-hmm. where it, uh, it's not seen in, in really the way that it is. I mean, for us in 40 years, uh, we have birth mothers that we continue to love on and care for. I've got women that are coming back for counseling 40 years later and have relationships with their children. They know their children. They've been reunified with their children. And it's a beautiful gift both to the woman and the child. And instead of telling those stories, we've allowed popular culture to tell adoption stories that seem harrowing and they seem uh, dark and they seem sinister. And they seem they seem, uh, you know, they, they, they don't they aren't telling the happy ending, but they're telling the drama in the midst of it. And I don't for a minute wanna paint the picture that adoption is easy or that it's uh, a walk in the park. But I think when we allow popular culture to define the things that the Lord has called beautiful, then we've lost a lot of things and we've, we've lost the ability to be able to describe it ourselves. And, and I really do believe that that pop culture has, has hurt that, uh, that, that beautiful thing that adoption is. Uh, I think on the other side, there's less stigma today with single parenting. Uh, as a matter of fact, and, and I know in, in a minute, we're gonna talk about the Fulton case. We've, we've had a war on the traditional family. We've had uh, continually this war. And you know, really the war started with governmental policy out of California. And I hate to say it, even as a conservative, it was Ronald Reagan who passed no contest divorce for the first time in, in California. And really, even since that point, there's been a war on the family. And that war really didn't start with Governor Reagan in California. It started in the garden in Genesis 3, where Satan tried to bring enmity between man and God and between man and woman. And you see the first spousal fight right there in Genesis chapter 3. And there's been this war on the family. And because of that war on the family, we now call things that we would have once called um, anathema, we now celebrate. And because we celebrate those things, uh, these beautiful institutions like adoption and, and seeing folks that wrap around have, have kind of gone a bit to the wayside.
0: I want to talk about the Fulton case before we leave, but I do want to just say a couple of things that I, because so much of what you said is just really, um, I just think is just so important. You said that we have allowed a narrative to thrive that adoption's messy. And, and I would go further. I believe that we have allowed the left to shame the abortion industry that makes money, by the way, to shame young women that makes them feel embarrassed, more embarrassed to say that they've placed a child for adoption, did made that beautiful choice, then it is. Then it's shameful to have an abortion, right? They'd be more ashamed to admit that they placed a child for adoption than to tell their friends they had an abortion. I think we could change that. It, I was with a, a bunch of friends, a bunch of really, uh, just really amazing policy thinkers, and somebody asked me the question: If you had one thing that, if money was no object, you would do, what is? What would you do? And there's boy, there's a lot of things that I, you know, kind of flitted through my mind. But the thing that I said was. I would like to change that narrative. I wish if I had a hundred million dollars, I think I could do it for a hundred million dollars, a hundred million dollars, I could change the narrative through educational campaigns, through advocacy, through ads, paid ads, through this whole sort of polling data. I believe that we could change it so that the world understood, the country understands how heroic how selfless these birth mothers are, that they put aside their needs for nine months and and longer, and they are willing to bless another family and to give life to this child, because they understand at the end of the day, that poverty and hurt is not solved by taking the life of another human being. The other thing is, I just did a, a Fox News hit recently, on the Shannon Bream show, because some uh, women on MSNBC accused pro-life women of being racist. And she specifically said white women are racist and that we see black women as human incubators, is what she said, and that we're racist because that we don't support abortion. And it's the opposite, right? You know, the vast majority of uh, abortions in New York City are are completed against African-American women. There's, in, in any given year in New York City, more African American babies die from abortion than are actually born. That is genocide. The fact that only twelve percent of our thirteen percent of our population is having something like thirty five percent of the abortions, like those numbers do not work long term. We're the ones saying, let us help you. Let us walk side, alongside with you. Pro life women take women into our homes and love them and care for them and walk like you've been talking about alongside them. So anyway, I just um, I just think that there is a lot of work to do on perspective. And for anybody listening that has the inclination to help with that, come help us because I, I know we can do it. I know we can change it. And more importantly, we must change it.
1: Yeah. And you know, Penny, I think what's so important with that too, a couple of things that you said is I think for so long on the pro-life side of the issue and conservatives in general, uh, we've, we've been very passive and mm-hmm. protective as opposed to active and to, to writing the narrative and shaping our own narrative. You know, we've allowed so many people to ignore the start of Planned Parenthood. It was all about eugenics right. and Margaret, Margaret Singer Stanger. wanted to eliminate the African-American race yes. uh, from the American population. And yet and now we've allowed, yeah. Worked
0: on forced sterilizations right. of minorities and people that right. she didn't think were a fitting of life. There was like 60 to 70,000 done in our country before it was finally outlawed because of the Supreme Court case of Buck versus Bell, right? right Carrie right, Buck right. out of Virginia. I mean, the Supreme Court doesn't always get it right.
1: <laughs> well, that's right. And, and we've allowed that narrative to be t- told that abortion or denying abortion is racist where in the it's it's the very opposite and and i think in so many different ways we've allowed words we've allowed true terms to be captured by a anti-fetical uh, you know totalitarian uh, you know regime to say hey we're going to capture these words that are beautiful words and we're going to commandeer them for something completely different we're going to take and we're going to take the things that are beautiful and we're going to turn them on their head and call them nasty We're gonna take the things that are nasty and turn them on their head and call them beautiful. And I think as conservatives, it's time to say, hey, we wanna retake what's, what's really there. We're about human flourishing. We're about human dignity. We are about the rights of all people, man, woman, black, white, Uh, we are for all rights because we believe all life is created and that all life is special and unique and endowed with unalienable rights. Like we've got to take back our talking points and, and stop sitting by passively and just defending. But we've got to go on offense a little bit and recapture these terms because we have something to fight for and it's the dignity of life. And you know, one thing I will say though, that I'm encouraged by is the millennial generation that sometimes gets a bad rap they are one of the most pro-life generations that have lived in the last several, many years, many decades. And a lot of that reason is because they have the technology to see that it's not just a talking point that life begins at conception. They actually can see a heartbeat. They can see a baby form in the womb to know that's not just a clump of tissues. That's not just a, a fetus. That's a true baby. I think where we've got to recapture the millennial generation, unfortunately, is this idea, uh, they've lost the idea of absolute truth. So Mm -hmm. I can believe that that's a baby. Mm -hmm. I can believe that that's killing a baby, but I can't tell you my truth and make you adopt my truth. And we've got to go back to absolute truth. I could
0: do a whole show on how mad that makes me the whole, let me speak my truth. Well, just because you think it may not make it true. There is one truth. You don't have your truth and my truth. There is one truth. There's absolute truth. And it's very convenient and easy. And it's a way people kind of skate by by somehow suggesting that there is an absolute truth. Okay, before we go, because I've only got a few more minutes here. Tell me, talk to me about the Supreme Court decision. What does yes. that mean for you? And, and kind of why was it important for you all to see that, see that
1: outcome? Yeah, well, this is a huge decision from the Supreme Court uh, and it really helps, you know, faith-based biblical ch- Christian child welfare agencies. And it's it's not just Christian, it's faith-based. Agencies across the board. Sure. And what we saw in a Burgerfeld is when you redefine marriage, it, and you really are redefining who has the right to bring a child into their home. Because marriage legally in our country was legalized for the protection of children. And so I told our board, even when a Burgerfeld went to the Supreme Court, I said, we're up next. Uh, adoption agencies, foster care agencies are up next. Because once you say that anyone can get married, then you are also say anyone can have a child. Well, what a Obergef- what, what, uh, What Fulton did is it protected the right of faith-based Christian child welfare agencies to continue to live by their statement of faith, their closely held religious beliefs in terms of of protecting and placing children. Now, for an organization like Lifeline, we actually don't take any state federal dollars. We don't take government money. Everything that we do is privately funded. We fundraise. Um, But for us, this is a true level of protection Because Fulton came and said, you should have equal access to state federal dollars in child welfare, and you shouldn't be forced to uh, compromise your closely held religious beliefs. So for organizations like Lifeline that doesn't take federal funding, that just truly solidifies our right, because we're not even in the public accommodation uh, debate. We don't take public dollars. So it's just reaffirming that we have the right to stand by our biblically held principles and our closely held principles that state that a child needs a mom and a child needs a dad.
0: Well, and you saw, I mean, really the the crux of this was the start, this was in Philadelphia, was sort of the epicenter where Catholic charities were basically left, sent to the wayside in a city where you have, um, you know, I forget the numbers, just uh, astronomical numbers. Oh, okay babies and children who need foster care who need a mom and dad who need help and need to be placed and so catholic charities were basically sidelined from actually participating in that and even you know people who weren't in agreement with them were like well you just walk down the street if you want to do a same-sex adoption like it's not like that by leaving them out you were you know or by their existing that somehow that same-sex couples couldn't adopt so it was it was even more in Insidious in that it was Mm. making the point at the risk and the harm of orphans, the risk and harm of in and you know orphans is a broad term, but it was just really important. We were very happy to see that people of faith can be involved in foster care adoption and still you know, be in line with their biblical view of marriage. And it's just really what, what we're called to. So that's really pretty much all the time we have. I, tell, tell our listeners, Herbie, how they can follow you, how they can give and donate to you. What, what do they need to know?
1: Yeah, anyone can always go to lifelinechild.org. Our website has all the ways that you can get involved, you can donate, you can support the mission. And then on all social media, we are Lifeline Child. So if you go on any social media platform, and you look for Lifeline Child, you'll find us Lifeline Children's Services.
0: Well, we are grateful. God bless you and bless what you're doing. Again, I cannot go before Congress, talk to a senator about changing the laws on abortion a governor without knowing that there mm-hmm. is actually a place that there are people and there are organizations and institutions who exist in order to support these babies and to support their mothers. So thank you for what you do. And God bless you, Herbie.
1: God bless you, Penny. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. Concerned Women Today is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, bringing you biblical perspective to today's most pressing issues. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. We pray this episode has been a blessing to you. For more information, visit ConcernedWomen.org. That's ConcernedWomen.org.